Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and a parent of two young adults, one of which is diagnosed on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hi, Kate, and welcome. How are you? Hello, Ilya. Thank you so much for having me. I'm good. Yeah, I'm glad to be working with you again. You know, I've been um, uh, talking with our listeners about uh, diagnosis and um, seeking an evaluation and what that process looks like. But in having those conversations, I realized I was missing a big piece, which is the whole early identification piece. And I was like, oh, wow, I could call Kate because I think, you know, you'd be great. You have, um, you know, you are an ambassador for the CDC for the state of Massachusetts. And I said, you know, I think this would be great. And it's information that everyone should be aware of if you're working with kids or have kids. Uh, and also there's just so much great information out there. So um, I'm so glad that you were able to join me today. Well, thank you again. Yes, the CDC's Act Early program is really wonderful, and we do need to get the word out. It, it's really amazing how many people don't know about it. So, um, yes, thank you for help spreading the word for sure. Excellent. So, Kate, could you just give our listeners a little bit of background on yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm an occupational therapist, and I have been working in pediatrics for over 20 years. I currently work um, as an assistant professor at American International College in their occupational therapy program, and I also work as a feeding consultant for Thome Early Intervention in Springfield. Um, my role is the Massachusetts Act Early Ambassador for the CDC's Learn the Signs Act Early program. It really allows me the opportunity to promote the program across the state. Um, we really want to increase early identification for children with um, delays. So over the past year and a half in my role as ambassador, I really focused my efforts on educating occupational therapists, physical therapists, and speech and language pathologists especially um, the, the therapy students in the academic programs on Learn the Science Act Early. Um, I really want therapy students who are just graduating and starting practice using the program from day one. So um, that's been a really a big focus for me. And as the ambassador, I also try to promote the program within the already existing child agencies, such as WIC, Early Intervention, Head Start, uh, and DCF, things like that. Yeah, so there's a there's a lot that um, is is involved here, and I know when I first um, heard your presentation, I was like, "Wow!" And I'm trying to feverishly take so many notes, um, but I know all of this is online. So, could you give us just a little bit of background on the um, Learn the Signs Act Early program? Sure. So, Learn the Signs Act Early program is designed to educate 
everyone who works with children on developmental milestones in order to monitor child development. So it's a monitoring program. It's for parents, teachers, librarians, at-home daycare workers, YMCA staff, and clinicians alike. It's a great communication tool to celebrate child development and to recognize as early as possible when a child is not meeting expected milestones. So this Learn the Science Act early program is 100% free, which who doesn't love free, right? Every, right, right. <laughs> everything is available <laughs> online on the CDC website. Um, if you Google CDC and then LTSAE for Learn the Science Act Early, it comes right up. The program has free checklists from two months to five years of age that list the developmental milestones that parents want to watch for for each age. So each checklist also has a box on it and it states like, act early by talking to your child's doctor if your child, and then it will list things um, specifically for each age. So like for a six month old baby, it'll say, um, act early if the baby doesn't roll in either direction, doesn't make any sounds, doesn't try to reach um, for objects. So if you checked one of those boxes because your child isn't doing what they're expected to do, you know you should contact your doctor. So these checklists are just a great communication tool for caregivers to doctors, teachers to parents, and vice versa. So if I'm a classroom teacher for three-year-olds, say, and... Um, I can use these checklists to discuss child's progress and find out what the child is doing home. So sometimes when you're in a classroom, you don't see everything that a child could do because of the two different right. settings. So you could be like, um, oh, I've seen your daughter take turns while playing in class with her peers and doing a great job with puzzles, um, but she's struggling to pull up her pants after using the bathroom. Does she dress or undress herself at home? And you know, you may not see that skill um, in the classroom, but maybe the family always dresses her. And so right. they don't know. And so this would be a great way for the teacher to explain Hello. that the child, the child should start working on dressing at home. Um, no. Or maybe the family hasn't seen their daughter pretend play, but she has started doing that in school in the kitchen play area. So it's really just a good communication tool. Right, right. No, that, that totally makes sense. Um, and so, you know, I know you're talking about different milestones. Can you give me, and you gave me a couple of examples, but can you give me some examples? Um, I think, you know, I know we're talking about all ages here and all different types of um, possible delays uh, for all children. Uh, I know one of the things that happens often in autism is sometimes these milestones are met, or maybe we don't realize that they're not necessarily meeting them because, like you said, maybe we're just in the habit of dressing our kid every day and sending them to school, and right? So, so how do we, um, can you give me some examples of other milestones for different age groups? Sure. So the CDC's Learn the Science Act Early program divides the, the big milestones, let's say, into four mm -hmm. categories, and they're divided into motor social, language, and cognitive. So I'll sort of speak on them in that way. So I feel like motor's the easy one, maybe because I'm an occupational therapist, but for, <laughs> for motors, um, I think, you know, putting, when a child puts their hands in the mouth or starting to roll over, we really look for that at four months. Um, at six mm -hmm. months, the child starts to begin to sit without support. 
at nine months, the child starts crawling and pulls to stand. So they'll crawl over to the couch and then sort of pull themselves up on the couch. Um, and then around 12 months is when a child typically will start taking a few steps. So those are the big ones for motor. Um, for social, the child begins to smile at people around two months. And then I think a big one is when at nine months, the child starts to be um, clingy with a parent. So if a, a parent is starting to drop their child off at daycare and now all of a sudden at nine months, it becomes problematic. Um, that's that's right. totally normal, which is why it's so much better to pick up than drop off. Um, <laughs> and then playing peekaboo um, is something that we'll look for around a year at 12 months. Um, okay. for, for language milestones, uh, response to their name at six months, um, points to things at nine months, and also waving bye-bye is a big one for nine months. And um, at nine months, you also want to be making sure they're babbling different sounds. So, you know, we're like, ba-ba-ba, you know, trying mm -hmm. to get the child to start making some of those sounds. Um, for cognitive domain, um, we want to see a child reaching for a toy around four months. At six months, we really want to see a child passing a toy from one hand to another. So we call that transferring objects in the therapy world. But we really just want them, you know, <laughs> bringing the two hands together. Um, and then at nine months, we have something called object permanence, where we really want the baby to be able to look for something when they see you hide it. So if I take a child's rattle and I put it under the blanket and they're watching me, that then they'll know that they, they're going to start looking under the blanket for a rattle. So I would say that those are probably um, the big ones that, um, that we would want to be aware of. But there's many more in the program. Sure. Sure. No, that makes sense. And I know all of that is available online. Um, and, and, you know, just to really push the site, there's so much information on there. Um, and it really is worth taking the time to kind of go through it from whatever perspective you're at. Uh, there's videos and there's all sorts of great things. So, um, but I know we'll keep, we'll keep going and I know you'll bring it up in a little bit. Um, well, I forgot to mention the app. You know, the program is also available through the Milestone Tracker app, which is free. And I oh, love yeah, it. Oh yeah, that's a great tool. Yeah, yeah, because it's really avail. It's so accessible on your phone. The app has all these tips and play activities for each age group, which my students love. So they're like, what can I do with the six month old? What can I do with the 12 month old? And it has like all age appropriate um, play activities. And then it also has all of the checklists. So um, when you enter in your child's date of birth, it'll populate the correct checklist for you. And the app comes in English and Spanish. So everything on the website comes in Spanish and the app also comes in Spanish. Um, and I forgot to mention on the website, in addition to Spanish, um, the checklists also come in Korean, Vietnamese, and Haitian Creole. So um, they try to make That's it awesome. as accessible as possible. Yeah. Right. And if you're someone who works in um, like a daycare or childcare uh, setting, you can use those materials um, throughout the program. Is that right? Like throughout your um, your own program. Right. So they, the checklist start at two months and they go to five years of age and they're free for everybody. That's great. Okay. So, um, so in speaking of the milestones, if, if you notice as a parent that something seems like, no, my, my kid isn't actually waving bye-bye or isn't really making that many sounds um, or doesn't really do anything with the toy. Um, what, 
what would be like the next steps for a parent? So when a caregiver or parent is concerned about their child's development, we just always recommend them to bring their concerns to a pediatrician. Um, But sometimes parents feel like their concerns are not really being heard or not being addressed by their doctor. And so when that happens, it's really great for parents to know that they can request an evaluation directly from early intervention for children birth to three. And for children three plus, they can go straight to the public schools. Um, that's according wherever their address. And they can ask for um, a, an evaluation from the public school special ed department. So if a parent goes to the school and I mean to the doctor and, and the parent's not really feeling like they're having their their needs addressed, they can get an evaluation without a doctor's referral. So that is a nice, um, a nice option for parents. Um, if if your child is two years nine months, though, I know this is a little um, specific, but if the child is two years nine months, I really recommend that the parents go straight to special ed instead of early intervention because it does take you know, two to three months in order to get services. So um, right. we do say birth to three, but if you're two nine, you want to <laughs> just go. Well, I know, uh, I know that actually it happens often too, that it's that, you know, you're just at that two and a half or just, you know, two and three quarters. And it's like, oh, well, let's kind of in caught in the middle there. Um, so as far as an early intervention program, where where would one find that? So I'm a parent. And I'm like, okay, these milestones aren't being met. I know my kid is 18 months. I need to find an early intervention program. What would be my best strategy for doing that? Sure. So in Massachusetts, we have this amazing parent-to-parent program called Family Ties. And Family Ties is a completely free service to families in Massachusetts. Um, It'll let families know by their zip code what early intervention programs are available and the um, program's contact information. Um, Family Ties also offers information and training for families um, for children with special health needs. They have a wonderful list of resources. Um, Something that's really hard to find is respite services, and they do also have a list of respite services. So Family Ties is a really great organization. If you're not sure what to do, um, you can contact them, and they'll help you um, get the early intervention uh, referral or um, get in touch with EI. So it's, it's a great service. Okay. And many of my listeners are actually outside of Massachusetts. So could they find this on the, um, the CDC site as well, or do they have to go somewhere else to find that? So the funny thing about early intervention services is that it's really about your zip code. So okay. <laughs> depending on your zip code, so EI is different for every state. And um, depending on your zip code is, is the local EI service provider. So one zip code may have three early intervention service providers. Another zip code may have two. So it really depends on your zip code is how you know um, what early intervention services are available to you. Okay. All right. Great. And then um, I'm guessing, I mean, I'm thinking what I would probably do, and my son was diagnosed later on, but um, could calling the school, would they be able to refer you? So if your child's not yet three, um, would they be able to say where the early intervention programs might be? 
I would hope or, that they would, but, I your, hope doc- so too. <laughs> but your doctor's <laughs> office, the pediatrician's uh, office okay. would definitely know for sure. That makes sense. Okay, great. And then you mentioned earlier that um, the the ACT Early program is really a monitoring program. And I know um, in past uh, newsletters and podcasts, I've talked about seeking an evaluation, right? So what's the difference between monitoring um, and, you know, an evaluation or a screening? I know there's, there, there are differences between all of that. There are differences. And, and for me being a therapist, this is what I really push towards uh, therapy students is that they are not interchangeable. So monitoring is not the same as screening. So I'm actually really glad you asked. So monitoring is sometimes referred to as surveillance by physicians. Um, monitoring is done by parents. It's done by teachers. It's done by health professionals. It's an ongoing process beginning at birth, and we're really watching and tracking a child's development. And Learn the Signs Act Early is just an example of a monitoring tool. Whereas screening is a formal process. It requires specialized training. It's mostly done by health professionals like an occupational therapist, a physical therapist, speech and language pathologist, or it's done by teachers with specialized training. So the ages and stages questionnaire is a commonly used screening tool. So it's an actual formalized process where the child, um, the, you know, the parents might answer a few questions. The, the um, screener will say, um, see if a child can do these specific tasks. Um, another screening tool that I really like that is free and online is the survey of well-being of young children. So if you do screens, I highly recommend you check out that um, screening tool. But combining both monitoring and screening is really the best way to identify children with concerns. So we know from research that the earlier a child receives services, the better the outcome for the child. So right now, CDC estimates one in four children ages birth to five are at a moderate or high risk for developmental behavior or social delay. What's really scary about that, I almost said wicked, what's really <laughs> scary about that is that the CD is saying that half of those children are missing the, um, their opportunity to participate in early intervention, which means we really need to do a better job of identifying these children as early as possible so children are getting the services they need. So if we're missing half of the children... Um, that says that, you know, we really need everyone. We need the librarians. We need, we need the, you know, the people at the Y helping. We need every daycare at home provider helping. We need all of these um, people in the community really looking at our children and saying, oh, this child's 12 months and not pulling to stand. Hmm, the CD Mm -hmm. says that should happen at nine. I should talk to the parents about that. So if everyone was sort of able to identify some of these delays that are happening, it would really help um, close that gap and get children the services they need earlier. Yeah. And I think, you know, parent education is a huge piece of this. I mean, I know my son is my first and I've spoken to a lot of families who have more than one child. And I think, you know, from personal experience, having your first child be someone that, you know, maybe you don't, you're not aware of what the signs would be, right? So you you don't have another child to compare that (laughs) your first kid to. um, And so you just don't know. And maybe when you're at the doctor's office, the checklist is, I think, um, at least, you know, 
20 years ago, I should say, it was, you know, they're much simpler and they're looking at very um, more macro things. And I think when I look back and reflect, it's like, oh yeah, he really wasn't pointing at things and showing me, you know, like, like engaging me in certain things or didn't realize that when I hid that toy that he just thought it was gone, like didn't really go to look for it. So I can do that reflectively, but when you're in it, I think it's hard to, to know what you don't know, right? Right. And you also really trust your pediatrician most of the time. And I mm-hmm. think that's what's hard is, um, you know, this, I, I sort of was, I feel like I did the best I could with the information that I had at the time. Right. Right. Uh, right. As a parent of two boys, um, there were things that I know now 20 plus years later that I would have definitely um, addressed sooner had I had the information I have now. So like, I didn't know I could have just gone to EI. My doctor was not hearing my concerns. (laughs) I was like screaming. He's not talking. He's not talking. And my, you know, I wasn't being heard and I didn't know that I had the right to go to EI and request that evaluation. So you know, as I say to parents, you know, we do the best we can with the information that we have at the time. That's why it's so important to sort of spread the word that, you know, monitoring can be done by everybody. So let's 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 help get these children, you know, the services they need as early as possible. Right. And so um, you mentioned a little bit before, like definitely any caregivers um, and anyone who, um, you know, is working with a child or a, a like librarian, daycare provider, um, anyone like that. Um, so, you know, you mentioned a little bit who can monitor, who can screen, who can evaluate. And I, who, so if we were looking for a diagnosis, I know sometimes um, early on in the process, in the uh, early intervention process, we might not necessarily seek a diagnosis. Is that correct? We're just kind of looking at, um, where the child is at at that point. And then if we move forward or we would have to go seek an evaluation from somewhere else. So like, help me bridge that gap between noticing that there's something, we're now screening, um, and then where do we change to an evaluation? Or when would we say, you know what, there's still more, we need to seek more help? Okay, great question. So (laughs) I guess I, I did not fully answer the last one, but thank you for bringing that back around. So the way monitoring works is once um, an eye, a concern has been identified, so then hopefully the caregiver will speak to the pediatrician, and this will flag a screen. So once a child has been screened, or or they call family ties and they and they get screened. Um, a screen results in continue to screen in six months, or it says, you know, um, everything is fine, or it may say, it depends on the screen, or it may say um, an evaluation is warranted. Mm, So um, through the process of a screen is really what then triggers the evaluation. So um, many, many screens are meant to be quick. It's just a snapshot. Um, you know, we look at uh, the average range as being 25 to 75%. So if a child is sort of, you know, in the 76 to 80 range on a few skills, they're a little behind, right? Um, if a child was in the 90th percentile for, for an item, we're going to definitely have them screened. Like we're going to say this, you, the, on this screen, you're this delayed, we're going we're gonna to go for an evaluation, 
Um, so monitoring doesn't sort of give you that where you fall with an average, where a screen is kind of placing you more like, hmm, these skills are a little bit behind average. Let's go. Let's go ahead and um, because you have one or two that are 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 later than 75%, let's go get an evaluation. Or maybe you have one that's really late, let's go get an evaluation. So the screening is much more um, definitive. It sort of gives you an outcome that says, let's, let's go on and let's evaluate this further. So um, when you go to your pediatrician and um, you, know, you go through the screening process, the evaluation that is um, that is given to the child or prescribed for the child, it may be early intervention for a child um, who's birth to three to assess all areas of development, or it may be like a specific service, hearing or vision evaluation. So maybe the child wasn't reaching for toys and the doctor is suspecting maybe the child has a vision deficit, or maybe the child's not making any sounds and the child needs a hearing evaluation. Or sometimes for an older child, like a four-year-old with sensory processing difficulties, the child might get referred for an outpatient occupational therapy evaluation. So it's really child-specific, um, but the evaluations are completed by healthcare professionals who are licensed within the state. So it's really what, um, you know, many people can perform screens, but not everyone can perform an evaluation. Right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, so, okay, that that. That's helpful. <laughs> and again, I know there's so many steps here. And I, um, you know, as I speak with families, I do say, you know, I offer a lot of information, but we can only take one step at a time, right? So we acknowledge where we're at, we acknowledge what we've done well so far, and we just pick up what the next thing is. And uh, I know sometimes it can feel overwhelming. So I know even here we're presenting a lot of information, um, but I think, you know, what I like is that people can then go back, re-listen, oh wait, let me see what the next piece is of, of this, what did they say? So, um, so I appreciate you going through so much detail. Um, and with you that said, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but I feel like yeah. I should mention this again, things I didn't know at the time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your doctor will give you, um, let's say OT services and, it, and they'll say, oh, we're, and they'll send you somewhere specific. So what happened to me was they sent me to an outpatient clinic. When I finally did get the referral for speech and language, um, the services, but I didn't want that. I wanted early intervention. So parents right. have choices and they don't always know. So if, if you get a script um, for say OT or PT, um, you have choices. You, you know, if it's birth to three, you, you have the choice of outpatient, you have the choice of early intervention. And I think it's important that people know that they, sometimes I feel like, um, pediatricians offices, it's it's not always, um, they don't always have the time to educate parents on the different choices right. that they would have um, to get those evaluations. Right. No, I think that's an excellent point. And I think also when you're in the middle of, you know, figuring out how to help your child, it's right, you're already overwhelmed and you're already stressed. And when someone just gives you, you know, a referral or gives you any information, we can tend to say, okay, this is what I have to do next. And we don't really totally know the full scope of options that are available because it's all new, right? Like this can be a totally new world for people, especially with really young children. 
Right. So right like where I used to live in Virginia, there are these huge hospital networks. So if if I'm going to this pediatrician, he's going to refer me to the same hospital network outpatient clinic. But there are other private outpatient clinics that I could have taken my child to. You know, right. and, but but I got the referral to that hospital-based outpatient clinic. So we we do have choices as parents, and we. But it's hard to know that you have those choices right. to get the word out because it's you know I have a script for this specific hospital outpatient, so that's where I'm going to go because right. this is where my doctor sent me. So I think it is something that um, is just not that known for parents. No, definitely, definitely. Well, that's why we're doing this, right? So we can help uh, parents learn more, which so that'll be really helpful for them. Um, and then I know, you know, you, you have gone into the early intervention piece, but um, I know there are other places where these resources can be implemented. And you mentioned earlier Head Start and WIC. Um, can you get into those programs a little bit more? Um, sure. So Head Start. And just as a, as a pause, I just want, the reason why I also want you to go into is because when I went to a conference where you spoke at and several other people who are from these different organizations, I didn't know the scope of how much they have to offer. So, and, and I've, you know, and I'm thinking, how did I not know this? So that's why I'd like for you to get into it a little bit. Sure, sure. Um, So Head Start is a federal program for children birth to five that um, promotes school readiness for low-income families. So not every town has Head Start programs, um, but a lot do. So early Head Start promotes healthy families and infant-toddler development for children birth to three. And then Head Start is for children three to five. We just kind of loop them all together and say Head Start, but it's um, sort of broken down into early Head Start and Head Start. So within Head Start, uh, Learn the Signs Act really isn't great. It's a great communication tool for classroom teachers to use with parents. They can use them as report cards for parent meetings or progress reports. Um, Learn the Signs Act Early also has three different books. And parents can actually go on the website and request these books be sent to their house and they will be, they will send them, which is Great. So the three books, there's a board book for one-year-olds. It's called Baby's Busy Day, Being One is So Much Fun. Um, And then there's two other books, uh, Where is Bear? A Terrific Tale of Two-Year-Olds, and then Amazing Me, It's Busy Being Three. And these books um, discuss developmental milestones at each age, and they're a fun way to act out the milestones and practice the skills. So when I used to work in the public schools, I always like read books to the children and then acted them out. So these would have been perfect uh, books to take into the classroom and then act them out and have fun. Uh, right. They're beautiful them. books too, because I know you've you've brought those resources with you to other trainings we've done together and they are beautiful books. So they're fun and really great. Yeah, they are. And they come in Spanish too, which is mm-hmm. really nice. Um, so then you mentioned WIC. So WIC is a special supplemental um, supplemental nutrition program for women, infants, and children. So that's why we, we kind of short, shorten it to WIC. <laughs> uh, it's also a federal program. It's for low-income pregnant women, breastfeeding and non-breastfeeding, uh, postpartum women, and infant and children's up to five who are at a nutritional risk. So um, each state determines the eligibility and provides the benefits and services. 
but it's separate from SNAP. So although WIC is federally uh, is a federal program, it is separate from the federal program that we used to call food stamps that we now call SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. So these are two separate programs. I say that because they often get confused. Okay. Um, and just for parents, you always want to use your uh, WIC benefits before your SNAP benefits. So just keep mm-hmm. that in mind. Um, so uh, in, in within the WIC offices, Learn the Signs Act early checklists are being promoted um, because the children that are coming in are already at a high risk. So right. children with nutritional um, risk factors are at an increased risk uh, for developmental delays. So um, this is really sort of uh, groundbreaking. Massachusetts is one of the first states in the U.S. to start promoting uh, Learn the Signs Act Early within the WIC centers. And in Massachusetts, it's currently being implemented in seven pilot sites. And the rollout for the rest of the state is coming soon. But they have already seen such amazing work. Um, So within the first three months alone, for those seven sites that were um, having uh, the checklist done as families were coming in, 1019 children were referred to early intervention, 19 referrals to family ties, and five referrals to special education services. So the people that are working at WIC are making a huge difference. These referrals are referrals we didn't get anywhere else. So again, I just keep I keep thinking, closing that gap, you know, stop missing children before age three. So um, it's really making a, a big difference um, having uh, the WIC centers use the uh, Learn the Signs Act early checklist. So really, yeah. So it's really that. like creating like this network, right? Where it's you know you you kind of can either pick it up in one place, pick up in somewhere else, or can we tease it out or like put a holistic picture together from all of these different areas? Um, and as long as we get to them somehow, <laughs> right? We, we're picking it up somewhere, which I think is really important. Well, so, and that's the ambassador's job, right? So if families have, you know, oh, maybe they heard of Learn the Signs Act early in the pediatrician's office, but they were busy that time. But then when they went to WIC, they heard it again, you know, or they saw it in the library and then maybe, you know, at the daycare center. So if we're all using the same language, that would really help with um, getting children, again, the services that they need. So that's the hope, you know. My job as the ambassador is to keep spreading the word, spreading the word. <laughs> right, so. right. No, and you do a great job uh, of it. And if there's anyone that's listening, um, that is maybe a clinician or an educator, can they reach out to you to come um, speak at their organization? I, I know it's within Massachusetts, but I also know they could find their ambassador in their state as well. Correct. Correct. So yes, the um, CDC website has a list of all of the ambassadors for each state, and they have their contact information right on the website. So um, please share my email with anyone who is interested, Ilya. And Mm -hmm. yes, if you wanted me to come speak, I travel across the state. I love getting asked to come because this is my job and it makes me look good. Like if you start promoting (laughs) Learn the Science Act early, it only makes me look good. And I get to check it off on my, you know, have done list. So please contact me if you're interested in me doing um, education um, workshops for, you know, whatever agencies or groups that you have. Right. And I know I attended an all day conference on on this information. And 
I think it was like $16 for the whole day. Now, is that available to other educators and um, other professionals working with children? So Massachusetts has an act early state team. We're Mm -hmm. really ahead of the ball game here in Massachusetts. And the state team, the act early state team puts on two conferences a year and the conferences, the state team um, leaders volunteer their time and they're all professionals, pediatricians, uh, developmental pediatricians, speaking language pathologists. We even have an OT, me, um, and, you know, <laughs> other professionals, social workers, and they put on a conference and it's like you said, $20. The one that mm-hmm. we had um, was going to Bristol Community College, was volunteer, volunteering their space, donating their space, but it had to get canceled. And that one was going to be free this past April. Oh, but yeah. due to COVID, it was canceled. Um, but yeah, so Massachusetts does have these all-day conferences that um, the state team puts on twice a year. This November, we have already started planning for the all-day conference, and it's going to be online because of COVID. But at least we're That's preparing great. ahead of time. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, not going to yeah. be canceled this time. Right. So, and it'll be completely free. And um, we already have our speakers set, which is fantastic. And then we will announce, um, once we have a few more details, we'll be putting that announcement on the Massachusetts Act Early website. Okay. And um, we also have a Facebook page where we post that information. Okay, great. And I, so is the, um, is that the, there's one Facebook page, Milestone Matters, that you had mentioned to me before. That's a, that's the CDC one. And then there's one directly for uh, Massachusetts Act Early also. Correct. So okay. I follow the mal- Milestones Matter. They do a really good job and they're much better at posting, I'll be honest. Uh, the Massachusetts <laughs> uh, Facebook site, we don't post that often, but when we do post, it's a good one. But right. yes, the, um, the Milestones Matter, I do recommend um, following that on Facebook if you use Facebook. It's a, it's a good, uh, they're, they're good. <laughs> Great. And then um, I know we've talked a little bit, we're very parent focused in this particular um, conversation, but I know you had also discussed uh, additional, you know, resources for, you know, other sorts of professionals, whether it's an OT, a PT, speech, um, I'm, I'm assuming educators and other clinicians as well. Where can they find more information? So, yeah, I probably should have mentioned this. This is good. The CDC has a free um, continuing education video called Watch Me Grow. It's right on the website, and it comes in English and Spanish, and it actually provides a certificate of completion at the end of the video. And they're really focused, this um, Watch Me Grow really um, explains how daycare providers and teachers for classroom teachers could really use the program. And it goes, it explains the, the program at length. I feel like you, if you watch this hour video, you would understand how to use the program mm-hmm. in your classroom at the end of it. So that's a really great um, continuing education tool. There are also some videos on the Massachusetts Act Early website. Um, there are right. some videos that have done previously. I myself have an open educational resource page, um, an OER page, that's what we call it. Um, so if you're a therapist, I have a international mentorship program where I have speakers come in once a month and they talk about their areas of specialty. And all of those webinars are posted on my 
OER page. And um, most of the therapists are in Africa, so we love free resources. So on, on my OER page are all different free screening tools, free resources, and again, the webinar. So I do, um, if you could post that for me, that would be great. I will absolutely post that. And um, yeah, that sounds like a great resource. You know, one thing I want to remind people, though you are... Um, the ambassador from Massachusetts, that these these resources exist online. So really anyone can access them for free. Uh, and, you know, you'd have to be mindful about what state or what country you're in. But the, the tools are there and the resources are there. The information and learning is there and it's available to everyone. So I don't want people to feel like just because we might be saying Massachusetts that the information is not available because it is totally available and most of it is very relevant as far as the checklist and the tools and the videos and all of the education. Um, it's really very rich. So I'd like to remind people that it, it, you know, it exists on the web so you can find it. Yeah, it's great. You know, people really want to help spread the word and, and educate. And, and it's amazing how many people are really willing to volunteer their time to do really? these educational webinars to, you know, really get the word out. And um, yeah, I love that you said you don't have to be in Massachusetts, right? Because, you know, the the, the participants on my monthly webinars are not from the United States. <laughs> I'm the only one from the U.S. So um, you're absolutely correct. These resources are freely available because they're online. It's a great point. Yeah. So thank you so much. I think this was wonderful. And I know um, you have lots of other, um, you know, resources and information. I, I'm particularly interested in, I know you're, you work with, uh, in feeding, right? Um, so I know maybe we can follow up with that. So I want to drop a little teaser for people because I know that is um, a topic of interest to my audience, uh, for many people in my audience. So hopefully we can pick up on that at some point. Well, actually, Therapro, yes. that which is from Massachusetts, is in located in Massachusetts. Therapro uh, just posted a webinar that I did for them online. So Therapro also has all of these free webinars posted on their website. Oh, so, cool! Right. So although <laughs> it is, it's a little, it's um, it's not an introductory introductory uh, webinar. Uh, so I apologize if you're a parent, it's a little bit higher level, but um, it is again a, a free resource and Therapro also has more free um, education videos posted on their website. Oh, cool. So I will get that link from you too. So that way we can, I can put that in our information for people. But yes, I am a feeding specialist, so uh, it's really people that are not in the pediatric world are like, what do you mean? You help people eat? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> um, yes, actually I do. But um, yes, that is my, my area of expertise within occupational therapy. Excellent. Well, thank you, Kate. And um, we look forward to hearing again from you. Thank you, Ilya, for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. Also, if you join our email list at thespectrumstrategy.com, you can get a code to attend one of my online courses for free. See you next time.